0: It's time for Governance by Grace. Welcome to Gracearchy with Jim Babka. Jim, I am like so impressed right now because I learned this morning that something amazing happened in 2011. And I thought the thing that happened in 2011 that was amazing is that Rebecca and I got married, but I guess that's just small potatoes compared to this. Yeah, And it came out of that Republican thing with the people who were like opposing the speaker's election in the House and got those rules passed. So I want to talk today about three bills that have been introduced in the Senate by Rand Paul, right, for the last, I don't know, 11 years now and are going to happen again. Read the Bills Act, One Subject at a Time Act and write the Laws Act. And people, if you dig into this stuff, you even read just a little bit about these, your minds are gonna blow because Congress is taking our money and themselves for a ride that they don't need to be taking. So let's talk about this. And oh, and boy, by the way, they can come and enforce these uh, crazy rules that they make on us too. But let's start at the beginning, man. I, I am like, as you know, I'm on about this stuff. Can we start with like the, the whole review again of what's a law and what's a rule and how that works in Congress? Just yes, for level and,
1: setting. and let me just add to your introduction, if I may add, I'm sure that the wedding was more significant.
0: However, oh, it was her her, yes. her hat caught on fire. You can see it on YouTube. It was great. yes,
1: it's it's something. So uh, the each as we're sitting here, each of these bills have now been reintroduced once again by Rand Paul in the U.S. Senate. So you know, people are watching right now. Uh, we will have uh, it's happening as we're recording this, but we will have the bill numbers in the description, the show description, so you can actually see it. They'll also be available at DownsizedDC.org, where I co-authored these bills with Perry Willis. Okay. Yes. Now your question.
0: Yes. What the heck? So um, let's talk about rules and laws just for a second. Refresh. Yes. Congress is the Congress is
1: the most anarchic institution in the land. What I mean by that is that they don't follow their own rules. A rule is something that exists to be waived. The entire purpose of the rule is to say, well, we're going to, we intend to follow this procedure under normal conditions, but they do their most pernicious acts on their way out the door for a leave or the end of the session. They leave and go home to their districts. And before they do that, they rush to push a kluge of stuff through and they suspend the rules when they do this. They also like suspend the, the appropriations
0: rules. Bill. Sorry, but you know, we just push through this. I don't know how tall it is. Yes. Uh, and if you recall on the episode course.
1: where we discussed the uh, this before, previous we explained that they're they haven't passed an, uh, under the normal appropriations process since the mid 90s they've not followed the rules for the appropriations process since the mid 90s yeah, yeah so it's the spending that's the real problem is we're going to get across here before we close today
0: okay so they can make rules the law spend them they can make rules
1: they don't have to follow their own rules a law is completely different because A law has teeth, it has enforcement. There's zero consequence for violating the rules and rules can be easily waived, but a law cannot be waived and it has teeth, it has consequences. So for all three bills that we're gonna discuss today, they each
0: have an enforcement clause in them. So this would mean that if Congress made these rules into laws, that Congress would be held responsible if they broke the law for not doing business the way they are constitutionally obligated to do business.
1: This is a tricky thing to do. So consequences to them would merely be that they would waste their time. And I'm going to get into this as we discuss with the read the bills and one subject and so forth. We have the same enforcement clause for all three of these things. But uh, the consequence is uh, a protection for you that is guaranteed that protects you from them and makes all of their work for naught.
0: Isn't this okay? crazy? A couple of libertarians talking about making more laws. <laughs> <laughs> so read the bills. read the bills act does what?
1: So, you know, the, the idea is that ignorance of the law should never be an excuse, especially for yeah. politicians. You know, you, if we've talked about this before, <clears throat> if you have power of attorney, you represent someone and we have a great many people in Congress who are accountants, who are attorneys? Who are business owners? So they all know what what the idea of delegating power of attorney involves. Having somebody be your representative or agent. If you have that responsibility and you sign a document on behalf of your client or the person you're representing, uh, could even be a family member. Some people have power of attorney for their family members, right? You have to do. You have to use careful diligence in doing that. And Congress does not read hardly any of the bills that they pass.
0: Whoa, hold on. Seriously. I mean, completely I serious. there's no people. way they could.
1: There's way, way too many pages of legislation that are passed and far more even than that that are introduced. There is no way. In fact, it, it, there are bills. There are entire bills where literally no human being, none of the 435 of them, nor their staff has read the entire bill.
0: So what do they do? Get a, like a click button where it says, accept the terms and conditions and you never read them? But sometimes there's a check mark that says that you did read them and then you click OK. Well, if
1: you accept the click, if you click that button, one of the things that you actually are doing is you're saying, I have faith that this is a standard boilerplate agreement that's pretty common to everybody else on the web. And I probably don't have too much to worry about in signing it. I still wouldn't advise doing that in general. I'll tell you, I'm a pain in the rear because I read my rental agreement when I go to get a car. OK. So we're going to be there for a couple of minutes because I'm going to read the thing. Uh, it doesn't take long to do because they are boilerplate, but it still takes some time. And Congress doesn't exercise this due diligence before they do two things that are very important. One, they impose uh, a regulation or an order upon you that is binding to you in your life and comes with consequences. And two, uh, they spend money, lots of it, uh, anywhere from tens of billions to hundreds of billions of dollars at a chop.
0: Without reading about what? Without reading about it. So somebody is actually telling people, okay, you need to do this thing, Bill, Congressman Bill, because it has these benefits. And I go, okay, I'm voting for the bill.
1: That's exactly right. So here's what we're going to do about that. Here's what we're going to do about that. First, we're going to say that before you cast an affirmative, if you're going to cast an affirmative vote, you're going to vote yes to spend more money, retain a program, whatever. You're going to sign an affidavit saying that you have either read the bill or you've heard the entire bill read.
0: Now we're going to make an there's a there's a there's a provision here to actually read the bill on the floor, right? Yes, yes, and this is my
1: favorite part of the bill because the requirement, uh, you know, it's, these bills are very long, and the mind will procure what the hiney will endure. So if this was the law, and a quorum, which the Constitution defines as fifty percent plus one of the members, and we're open to some discussion about what that should be, but we have it presently listed as a quorum, has to sit and listen to a literal word for word in order of the reading of the bill from start to finish before the vote because the mine will procure what the honey will endure. And I guarantee you, the bill will be a lot shorter. All the bills will get shorter. They will cover less ground. They will be much more concise and direct if that is the requirement.
0: It's going to eliminate pork barreling and some other things too. And what do they call it when they stuff other things that would never pass?
1: Yes, which we're going to get to we're going to get to that next. We're going to get to that next. Let's not get ahead I know. Ourselves. I know. I'm, I'm ahead of know. We've got to build a that set, too. But it will be shorter, simpler and cleaner. And then the bill says that starts a clock. So for the next seven days, the bill will be posted online. I've kind of got ahead of where we were planning on going. I think we we're going to talk about sunshine. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. No, I, I was going to ask yes. you, because this sounds to me like the, the term they throw around is sunshine. So it's like throwing some yep. light on the subject, right? Yeah, so, so we're uh, doing a
1: waiting period. That's how we're da- yeah. addressing this. We're giving them a waiting period. So the readings done, the out loud readings done uh, before the final vote can be taken. The bill should be posted online for seven days. Where do we get the seven days figure? So there was this concept t- 15, 20 years ago that if you're going to buy a gun, you should have a cooling off period before you were able to acquire the gun. And we thought Congress should have a cooling off period before it passed legislation. But more importantly, we felt the bill should be posted online for the public to see, to be able to read. So you should be able to read it, Bill. I should be able to read it. Everyone listening to us right now should be able to read it. Every American should be able to read it. Their favorite watchdog group should be able to read it. So should their favorite talk show hosts and programming they're watching. Like everyone should have a shot at this bill for seven days to know what's in it, because now we know it's coming up for a vote. And this is the time when I wish people would kill some of these bills while they were still in the cradle. But this is the time when it most people are going to be paying the most attention because the bill is about to come up for a vote. And so we want to make sure that, this, uh, th- that they have a chance to uh, address the bill. Uh, the public has a chance to address the bill with their congressman during this crucial period right before the vote's
0: going to be taken. Can I play devil's advocate for a second? Please. So we heard during the whole Speaker McCarthy issue that this was obstructing business as usual, that this would end you know, the way that Congress is able to do it. It would drastically impact the efficiency and that a few people could, by just saying no, stop everything. How do we respond to that?
1: Um, this is representation in action. Almost the entire document we call the Constitution is designed to do exactly what you just said. And if we get down to brass tacks, the concept that you're talking about is something called gridlock. Now, I'm of the belief, uh, and I think most Americans actually are, that most of what Congress does pass is not good. It's undesirable. And some of it is downright bad. So if you say we're going to slow everything down, what you are saying is we're going to slow down shady deals. We're going to slow down big spending. We're going to reduce the number of programs that the government has. If those are some of the consequences that come out, I think on balance, this tends to be good. There are no perfect solutions, recall. There are only trade-offs and the trade-offs come out heavily in favor of this and they have the cumulative effect. Well, I mean, the organization that's pitching this, the one that I run that does this is called Downsize DC for Pete's sake. So we definitely wanted to try to create an environment where there would be less incentive or or improved incentives to actually be diligent and pass things that the American people would actually want, as opposed to just any willy nilly thing they could possibly shove into a bill.
0: So this is the uh, same,
1: Bill, this is the same kind of prudence you have to exercise at your family table when you're trying to figure out where you're going to spend your money and how you're going to spend your time. You have to do the exact same thing. They do, they spend our money uh, irresponsibly and without consequence to them. So we need what, some protection, some measure that
0: forces them to have some restraint. Can you look into the the crystal ball a little bit and say what would happen if they did this and somehow managed to ramrod a read the bills act through that was really bad and that like didn't have teeth.
1: Oh, I mean, they have a read the bills rule right now that they can easily waive. Um, so uh, I, I and so I, I'm not really super concerned about that. I and by the way, I see that as an improvement. Like I, you know, when we talked about the Speaker McCarthy episode, we talked about why this was, on balance, a good thing. But it's not going to get us where we need to go. What we actually need here is a law that has some teeth to it. Which we're coming up to the teeth here. We'll get to that in a second. Anything more you want to say about sunshine before we move on to the teeth? Well, I want to say one more thing about the actual construction of the bill itself, because the other thing that, uh, and Speaker, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Representative Amash uh, impressed upon us the need for this. And we, uh, it's not in the present uh, version of the bill that's introduced in the Senate, but when the Read the Bills Act has been introduced in the House in the past, there was a whole section in there that had to do with how an amendments are written. So legislation is not written in a way that you can read it. Like let's say you've got a novel that you're going to read and the novel draws you in and it's written in a language called English and you're able to follow it that way. Legislation has the appearance of being English, but it ain't. It's, it's, uh, it, you have to usually to understand what's happening. You need three things. You need the text of the bill in front of you itself. You need the code that it modifies. And then you need some level of of the art or the expertise of understanding how that code is understa- understood in the regulatory world in which it exists because there are terms of art in there and there's very few congressmen that have this on any given day on any given subject and so you commonly find language that that that's that uh uh says something like let me give you a because i have to read this in order to make sure i get this right section 415 21 usc 305d is amended in subsection a 2 by inserting after the first sentence the following so it's very very hard to track (laughs) Yeah. So we said that, listen, you should show what it said, and then you should show what it'll say. Like you can have that in there, but you should show what it said. You should show what it'll say. And that way it's easy for the congressperson to sit there and at least take care of two of those three things. That doesn't solve the term of art problem, but it does address the readability of a bill. So, yeah, we had that provision in the House version before. It's not. It's not in the Senate version that Rand Paul has repeatedly introduced over the years.
0: We get that in our voter pamphlet here in California, where if we're going to amend the state constitution, it'll give us the old way, it'll give us the proposed way, and we can clearly understand what the differences are without having to become like you know, legislative artists.
1: <laughs> you don't realize you just did it, but you just segued into our next topic, because 45 out of 50 states, 45 out of 50 states have a one-subject provision in their constitution. And that provision has been applied in almost, I'm not aware of any exceptions, there are 23, 25 states approximately that have referenda, in other words, the ability of citizens to put an issue on the ballot. Right. And I believe every single one of those states has a one-subject provision for that. So citizens wanting to put something on their ballot in the half of the states where that's legal, have to follow a one-subject rule. It makes good sense, by the way, that they do that. Um, and uh, it is in the Constitution of 45 of the 50 states to do this. But guess what? It's not in the congressional rules? Not in, I don't know. Not. It hasn't been there most of the time. It was yeah. there at the beginning when the initial manual for how to do procedure, you've heard of like Robert's Rules of Order, the initial manual for procedure was called the Jefferson Manual. Because Thomas Jefferson was, the, was uh, the second vice president of the United States. And while he was in the Senate, being the kind of guy he was, he observed what was going on and he started making notes and he created a rule guide that, can, that became the perpetual rule guide for decades to come. And it did also have a one subject pro, uh, provision. And it had a reading provision, which required the full read aloud version of every bill, not once, but
0: twice before a vote could be taken. And these are good ideas, regardless of Jefferson's position on things like slavery. Yeah, yeah. A good idea is a good idea. Yeah. Even if he's a broken clock, it's a good idea. It's a good idea. So one subject at a time, Uh, just to be completely transparent about this, this simply means that if you're going to have a bill to do something, it does one and only one thing. It doesn't have a whole bunch of things. It states it right in the title of the bill. There's just a title
1: right at the top, clear, descriptive, one topic. That's it. Okay. Are there, are there any
0: exceptions? No. Like spending bills, um, appropriations. So the way
1: the appropriations bills work is that the committee that is over charge of it can only allocate funds that relate to their committee. So we tried to be fair to Congress here. They've divided themselves into a set of what are called permanent committees they have been longstanding. They've existed for a long time. So, and they can set up as many committees as they want. But what we're suggesting is that if they want to combine things, those combinations have to make sense in the sense that a committee was able to review it. There was a committee of jurisdiction that was able to review that matter. So the subject matter for an appropriations bill can be as broad as the work of a single committee, but no broader. So if you're bringing two committees in, you got a different bill.
0: Different bill. So we would have a bill, a one subject at a time bill for um, housing and urban development. We'd have a one subject at a time bill for defense. We have a one subject at a time for, you know, the various different pockets of where money is spent would require their own appropriations bill brought by a committee. Right. And they have already outlined what the
1: appropriations bills are. They have a set and they have an appropriation schedule. They're simply not following that. And we're saying you have to follow that. And each one of these things have to be passed individually. They cannot be passed in a cluster, what they are presently calling an omnibus bill, but it's a cluster. You know, that's what it is. (laughs) An omnibus will run you right over. It runs the taxpayer right over. Every time. (laughs) Yep. So, you know, we were inspired originally because there was a port security bill
0: that was passed. Back in the day, like 2010, 2011? 26, actually. Wow. Port security bills passed. The
1: Senate Majority Leader um, wanted to prohibit online gambling. So we woke up the morning after the vote was taken. To discover that he had inserted overnight, right before the vote was taken, a, a a online gambling ban. Now, pray tell, what did port security and online gambling have to do with one another? And this I'm going to go usual, one step man. further.
0: You're, don't ob- don't obstruct progress. We're moving forward here.
1: I'm going to go one step further. <laughs> I'm going to go one step further. Read the bills. By the way, would have helped prevent this too because it was a last Definitely. minute insertion. But I'm going to go one step further and say. Um, I grew up watching, uh, schoolhouse rock on Saturday morning cartoons. And there was one of the most famous ones was about Bill who lived on Capitol Hill. And he would explain the procedure by which he became a law. And he would celebrate, of course, the fact that he did succeed in it. And he made it sound hard. And I'm here to tell you that if you believe that view of civics, you believe in a myth. It's what it's supposed to be but it ain't what it is. And what I mean by that is that you take a unpopular idea that could not stand scrutiny on its own. It will not stand on its own two feet. Like Bill was saying he needed to, and you sneak it into a bill that is sure to pass. Like I'll pick one for you. The, 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 uh, any defense bill. Okay. Are you going to vote against the troops bill? Do you hate the troops bill? you really hate our American military? I mean, how unpatriotic are you? Are you a communist? Are you a terrorist? What are you? Right, right, right. And they could shove everything in that bill. Now, we have made an argument to the members of the, Senate, uh, the House and Senate to say that basically this is this is the leadership taking advantage of the backbenchers. So think strategically here. Leadership is small backbenchers is the majority, overwhelming majority, more than two thirds, more than three quarters of the people do not in the house, do not have any real power to speak of. Okay. It's a small handful of people. We identify them at being roughly a couple dozen that run the entire show and the leadership of each respective party, the two or three people at the top of each respective party really, really run the show. Okay. They're hyper powerful and all these backbenchers are not. So. When they come down with something like the Happy Awesome uh, Freedom for Children of Patriots without Healthcare Act of twenty twenty three, wait, hold on a sec, is this real? No, I saw no, that. I'm but, like, but, okay, <laughs> but they, but they use these kind of like terms, right? You know, right, Patriot right. Act was actually an acronym. Patriot was an acronym. You know, yes. you're gonna vote against patriotism. Well, we're gonna be spying on people. We're gonna be completely crushing their Fourth Amendment rights. We're gonna treat every American like a criminal, and we're gonna view their photos that they send each other, including their, you know, what pics. You know, we're gonna we're gonna really delve deeply into who they are. We're gonna have and- all that stored in a warehouse. Okay, all of it stored per- forever in a warehouse, uh, in in Utah, where we, you know, can can access it whenever we wish. Okay. This yep. is what we're going to do. We're going to presume every American guilty of being a terrorist. Right. And, and, and use this information, but we'll and put it under a happy a Patriot, name, right? We'll give it a great name, of how yeah, wonderful Patriotic. this is. Right. Okay. So yes, yes. When you're talking about, they have a bill that nobody can vote against and it's got some name like the happy, awesome freedom for children of Patriots without healthcare <laughs> act of 2023. <laughs> yes. And you can't vote against it, but then you go back home and you run for re-election. And they say, Bill voted to take children and steal their lunches. Did you know that Bill voted for, and they'll go on, and he'll scroll on the screen. He voted for tax increases. He voted to to end the military. He voted, I mean, just to keep going, right? And all of that stuff that's showing up on the screen at that hour was stuffed in one of those bills like that. They never, ever would have voted for it. It looks like they were hypocrites that did not do what they promised their constituents back in their district. This is what the leadership's doing to them, is making them vulnerable to to charges of not being supported something. And it's this stuff was stuffed. I mean, 99 times out of 100, the things they're being accused of were stuffed in some bigger bill and they were an unrelated topic.
0: And we're saying legislature, had, if they'd had time to read the bill. They would never have voted for it, even if their leadership was forcing them, twisting their arm to do it. If it was one subject at a time, it never would have gotten into the bill in the first place.
1: Right. That's exactly right.
0: And have you
1: ever met, I, usually Republicans that say this, they go, well, you know what we really need right now is a line item veto. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Line item That's vetoes are unconstitutional, and they also a, uh, they also ruin... What is probably the best part of the main constitution i love the bill of rights but if you take that out and you look at the original articles that were passed there was a balance called the separation of powers yes and this destroys it and makes the president more powerful and all you need to do to put this idea completely to bed is to tell the republican who says well you know what congress needs is a line item veto okay well let's give that to joe biden well um mm, uh wait yeah okay so your point yeah this is this gives the president way, way too much power. Congress should have done their job the right way in the first place. This is the legislature exercising upon itself a line item veto. They are limiting all their stuff to one topic and they are making it frankly easier for the president to veto the bill because this isn't, this is, this cuts all this backroom dealing that goes on behind the scenes yeah. out. It really yeah. does. Okay. Where stuff is shoved in. And and so we've seen this happen again and again and again, and it's nearly every session. Uh, I shouldn't say it's nearly it's every session. It's, it's, every it's session. Not nearly 100 percent every session. So that's the one subject at a time act. It says clear, descriptive title limited to one topic. Everything the bill has to conform
0: with it. Can we talk about Right the Laws Act? Because this is something that is like really personal right now for me. Uh, why is it personal? I have a toll free number or two. Remember those used to be able yes. to call them and the yeah. party to answer yeah. to pick up the charge. So I have those, and it turns out that the FCC or somebody has decided that people who have toll-free numbers and use them for marketing purposes by sending text messages from them fall under a regulated category. Well, I don't use them that way. I use them for the convenience of my customers. And not only does the FCC decide that there's a regulated category involving toll-free numbers used for text, they also decide that people have to have an option to opt in and opt out. And if you have not signed the thing that says that we're in compliance, they can take away your toll-free number. So in order to do this, I've had to hire an expensive attorney to write a very expensive terms and conditions for me that I can post on my websites that explain how and why it is that we use toll-free numbers, which basically we've always used in the right way. We haven't used them to spam anybody. We haven't used them to advertise. We haven't used them for anything that the FCC now wants to regulate their use for. So it's costing me money to be able to sustain my own toll free numbers, even though I don't use them for the purposes the FTC wants to regulate. And you could tell this frost me.
1: And anybody that is in business, anybody, small business, big business, anybody that is in business has a story just like yours, at least one, if not 10 or 20 or 30, there's no law. All of this drives up the costs to your consumers because you have to pass it on to them and all of it makes your business harder to do. And it is easier for major corporations who have large departments to comply with this stuff than it is for the beginning entrepreneur. So it, it actually stifles small business the most. Oh, yeah, it's onerous. Um, James Madison, federalist number 47, he says the accumulation of all powers, legislative, executive and judiciary in the same hands, whether of one, a few or many, and whether hereditary, self-appointed, or elective, may justly be pronounced the very definition of—are you ready? Tyranny. So, Congress, we—there's this idea in the con of this—we'll uh, get into in some future episode of a social contract that we made, and we created a constitution that create that creates or empowers the government that we have, where allegedly you and I—I I don't remember being at this event. Uh, agreed that there were certain powers we would give up and we would allow to be held uh, in in an entity called the government and that those powers then would be exercised for our benefit. We, in setting this up, said we want to make sure that we're not taken advantage of by any one of these parties, uh, a judge, a president, a king, right? We wanted to keep that from happening. So we divided it up into three parts and... Uh, we said that there was going to be a legislative, an executive and judiciary branch. Now, every time a regulation is promulgated, it comes from the executive branch. The executive branch's job is the enforcement. Judges don't have the power to enforce. Congress does not have the power to enforce. What Congress is supposed to do is legislate. So one entity makes the rules. Another entity um, implements or carries out those orders. A third entity uh, looks at whether or not the main document, the, the law that's supposed to be governing all of them was followed in the process. So these are all designed to be what are called checks and balances, right? Sure. When you take a power that belongs to one of those other branches and you put it in one that doesn't have that power, you, you are doing what's called an unconstitutional or anti-constitutional, I would argue delegation of power. Only we were able to delegate power. That's all we were able to give them. So what ends up happening in this particular situation, I'm, I'm, I'm gilding this a bit, but I want everybody to understand, is that unelected bureaucrats end up making laws instead of Congress doing it for them. And Congress has been a willing participant in this game.
0: They have- Wait, wait, said, oh, oh, well, time out. You used the L word. So one? when you said unelected bureaucrats make laws- Yes. Because they're, the unelected bureaucrat can decide to do things in a certain way, and that is enforceable under the overarching law. Correct. And,
1: and those right. provisions never crossed the desk of the Congress. Now, Nancy Pelosi has a very, very famous statement. When discussing Obamacare during the debate, she said, we're going to pass the bill, we have to pass the bill in order to find out what's in it. To find out what's in it. Yes. Okay. Okay. Almost everybody thinks that when she said that, and I get, I've been asked this question a hundred times over the years on various shows and different things that when she said it, what she was talking about was the fact that they don't read their bills. She was not. What she was talking about was the fact that there were going to be something in the neighborhood of 126 different panels, commissions, boards, and agencies created to help execute and implement the law. And since there, had not yet been established since they had not yet hired their personnel and since that personnel had not yet actually written the rules for them to review we had to pass it so that they could those events could occur and then we would be able to know what they were
0: yeah i'll start a business that way any day man with with federal exactly. funding i can i can run that business right until you know forever right and so what they did
1: is they delegated out a ton of their legislative capacity out to people that didn't even exist yet, like these entities that were going to be doing the work, the people in those positions, these jobs, that would be a more accurate way to say it, didn't even exist yet. And so, yes, we had to pass it in order to find out what was in it.
0: And those jobs that didn't exist were in charge of making the regulations for which you, me and everybody else in America is criminally liable if they don't follow.
1: Yes. So. You know, you take you can take the IRS, the FTC, FTC, OSHA, or even your situation with your 800 number. Right. The agency promulgates a regulation that citizens must obey. So that by definition is legislation. If they were making rules that govern how they were going to run their own agency, not a problem. Every entity makes its own rules as to how they're going to get things done. We're going to answer the phone on the third ring. We're going to get a report out by Friday. Those things, they can do that all day long. Okay. But they when they make a leg, when they make a rule that Congress didn't uh, review or pass, that's legislation. They're outside of their boundaries. Two, they can bring charges against citizens to enforce these rules, which by the way, was in their purview. So if the law exists, they are the enforcement arm, but they they're acting there in their executive capacity. But please understand, they passed it and then they enforced it. And we were trying specifically to separate those two things. We do this at the county level too. You've got the sheriff and then you've got the commissioners. They do not the the sheriff doesn't write his laws and then go out and, and kick people around and make it do it. And you can understand the self-dealing that would go along and why this would be possible. Yeah, the and Wild of course, West in the all bureaucracy, over. we've got the revolving door, right? Where people work for the bureaucracy and then go out to a cushy job in the private sector. They come in at a higher level in the bureaucracy and they go out to an even higher level in the in in the private sector. Okay. Three, they adjudicate their own enforcement. So I want you to notice that so that they first acted like Congress, then they acted like the executive branch, and then they set up their own courts. Several of them right. have their own courts. Yes. keeping IRS, being, IRS is the biggest offender here. But the, the, what they're trying to do is make sure you can't actually get access to the courts and they, they have an unlimited amount of money and capacity to fight you. You, you do not. And they want to wear you down. So even if you're right and you can win and you can keep winning all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, every single level is a piece of expensive friction. And sooner or later, you're just going to give in because it isn't worth the fight. It isn't worth it. And this is what they do right now. And we're saying that those options one and three are completely outside
0: of their purview. They are unlawful delegations of power. Only
1: Congress can legislate.
0: So focus on number two. Let's take Obamacare because why not? Um, What's it called? The Affordable Care Act. I'll be be politically correct. The Affordable Care Act was passed so that we could figure out how to implement it. So the proper way to have done that would have been, okay, let's figure out how to implement this. Before it's implemented, all of the agencies responsible come back with a write the laws act bill and say, uh, Congress, here's what we need in order to be able to do this Affordable Care Act that you've passed. Put this into a law, <laughs> read it in front of everyone. So everybody understands, uh, you know, uh, and then we'll implement it. Once there's a law, we'll implement
1: it. You've explained it perfectly. I love how colloquially, how basic you made that, okay? Yes, here's here's the things we need you to do. Come back now and and pass that. That's exactly what should happen here. So Congress has a chance to look at that and then debate, and, and hopefully there's a read the bill provision so that they are taking their time to do it and everybody gets to put their comment in, their two cents in, and maybe even stop a bad regulation or some portion of a bad regulation from becoming law. We also said in the right, the laws act that we created a review process for past legislation. I I would like to add to this. I wish we had like a sunrise act that we could put with this or sunset. I should say sunset where every single thing that, that is law has some period where it all comes back to be reviewed again, after we have a provision like right, the laws in place, but we've got to get right, the laws in place first. Um, But, uh, um, there should be some review uh, immediately of all the stuff that was done uh, over some period of time, year or two, I don't know what it needs to be for, where everything gets brought back to Congress and Congress has to vote on it. It will be a really busy season, a busy time, but you know, we've got stuff that's been on the books for a long time that no longer f- serves or fits us. We've got hey, stuff that's been on the books job. that's been a Constitution. Right. Think, and think all of that stuff should come up.
0: Lawyers, everybody could come up and we could fund a whole review. And the,
1: the, the, the process here would say, if they don't have time to get to it, it's gone. Like, they have to do this if they want to that, keep that stuff going, too. So there'd be tremendous pressure to get this right. Um, and well, and, and that would we would actually I, downsize DC just with this provision all by itself.
0: There are, there are certain parts of the bureaucracy, let's say, that work okay. And there are some smart people in there who are frustrated by the way that everything doesn't work. Right. And a lot of those people have retired in place. But there's smart people down there that we could use to help make this work better. And I personal experience now with Affordable Care Act in California, some of those people are really on it. And they're yeah, told they no, you know, they're frustrated.
1: In fact, I almost wish they weren't quite as diligent. I have a friend who moved to South America and spent about two years down there. And he's like the great thing about their government, he's even even though it's it's technically more tyrannical, is that the people that are in the bureaucracy are fundamentally lazy. Uh, Americans are not our bureaucrats are not fundamentally lazy. They actually yeah. do with great diligence and belief and faith and confidence. Try to, uh, to get their agendas uh, accomplished. But their agendas are exactly that. They're interferences with human happiness. They violate the principle of human respect, which says that every time that you use uh, uh, force, whether it's violence or theft to get your way, you're going to diminish the happiness, harmony and prosperity of human beings. It's just automatic that that's what's going to happen. And so we want to see them stop engaging in this practice as much as possible. And we are uh, downsized DC after all. Now, having said all this, you want to know about the enforcement provision, right? Yes. How that's do these things actually become laws? Okay. If Congress, every one of these bills has the following provision. If Congress passes the law without following the provision of the read the bills act, if that's the law or the One Subject at a Time Act, if that's the law, or the Right the Laws Act, if that's the law. Every time that they pass the one of these bills that where they fail to follow the existing law provision, and you, Bill, find yourself in the dock. So let's say you don't do the 800 number thing they wanted you to do. You say, a uh, heck with that. And you find out that they didn't follow the One Subject at a Time Act. Then you would be able to show that evidence to the judge and say, Your Honor, they didn't follow the provisions in this law. And the judge would kick the case to the curb with impunity. And when I say with impunity, that means it can never be brought up against you again. Okay? So if they want to waste their time passing laws where they're not going to follow the provisions that we've spelled out here, they can do it all day. We don't care. Like, don't bother. Skip reading. Skip the reading provision. Go ahead and waive it. But it doesn't actually apply. It's now a recommendation. It's actually not a regulation or actual legislation that actually is binding to us in any way. It's not enforceable. Try to enforce it, but we can go to that third branch and
0: say, they didn't follow the rule and this is the law, out it goes. Any chance that the third branch, which has become more and more partisan, would say, no, Bill, you're crazy. This is obviously their intent. So therefore, you're frivolous, comply or be you know, coerced two things.
1: First, uh, of course, and I would say that we have had the best track record of success of the three branches from the judiciary, which has subsequently made itself also the weakest. Ironically, they were supposed to be kind of co-equal. They are the weakest. And they have been, done the best job of telling Congress and the president, no, they've not done a good job, but they've done the best job. They are a buffer in security. And utopia never happens to be one of the options. True. But the second fact is that there are abilities to appeal decisions that are made. And sooner or later, your odds of finding the right judge, even if the first judge, for example, gets it wrong, increase. And the court of late that has done the best job of protecting liberties has been the Supreme Court. They've made some edicts, they've come down and said, These things are not and I know that there's some some exceptions, but on balance, uh, for example, they've tremendously strengthened the Fourth Amendment in the last few years. Uh, Basically, the last half of the previous decade, they started doing so. And so, you know, uh, that there's there's things that can be done here. And I'm not saying the work ends with all of this. And I'm not saying we arrive at utopia. Everything is about the trade offs and how they, they lay. And this would dramatically change the incentive field. Now, I want to say something about the One Subject of Time Act that is very, very urgent and important, and that is that in, a, in addition to the fact that Rand Paul has introduced these bills in the House and Senate, all three, I'm sorry, in the Senate, all three times, the House has consistently introduced the One Subject to Time Act. They understand this backbencher appeal very well, and the provisions of Read the Bills and One Subject were in this recent Speaker McCarthy debate. So, and it was this bill that inspired it. In fact, one of the key, two of the key players in that saga were were uh, Chip Roy and Lauren Boebert, who were both co-sponsors in the previous session of the One Subject at a Time Act. The One Subject at a Time Act finished the last session of Congress with 12 sponsors total. And uh, I'm sorry, thir- uh, 12, 12, uh, no, 12 co-sponsors, excuse me, it's 13 sponsors. They finished with 13 sponsors and all but one of them has returned to the current Congress. So we have hope and belief, and we'll be in in talks with the office that uh, sponsored it, uh, that it will be reintroduced in the House as well. Russ Fulcher from Idaho is the sponsor there. We reached our record um, two uh, two Congresses ago. So we've we've had two rows, the previous two Congresses were Russ Fulcher introducing, we're looking for him to do it a third time. The term before that was Mia Love, who's no longer in Congress, and she got us all the way up to 27 co-sponsors at the time. Now, most of the people that sponsored at the time are not there anymore, but that bill has actually achieved a certain level of success. We believe it's the first one that needs action, and the best way to do that action is to go to downsizedc.org, which is an organization I presently run and that I co-founded with Perry Willis, who co-wrote these bills with me and the help of the William J. Olson Law Firm. The uh, the bills, uh, we have a plan there involving getting 300 people in every single district in the country who are willing to go in waves of three, five, or six to visit their legislative offices demanding that these bills be sponsored. When we reach a point where we're at a majority, I'm hopeful before it'll come up for a vote, but once it does get to a majority, we can have a, uh, a we can petition, uh, the members of the, legislation can, uh, of the legislature can petition, it's called a discharge petition. So that when we get to 218 representatives, they can, uh, or more sponsoring the bill, they can, uh, if the leadership still doesn't want to cooperate, they can use something called a discharge petition bill, which automatically brings uh, the bill for a floor vote. But I think we would get there long before that point. And the one subject at a time act is the gateway to read the bills and write the laws, in my opinion, based on the history that we've had on this. What we need is more uh, at downsize DC is more resources to get this done.
0: First of all, I've got to say congratulations. It's been 13 years now on this, 12, 13 years that you guys have been working on this, Uh, probably longer than that. To get it to this place, uh, some amazing support in the Senate from Rand Paul. And I hear what you're saying clearly because the House, it sounds like to me, based on leveraging the Speaker McCarthy uh, period of time, experience, whatever, knowledge is, is in a place right now where there could be a tipping point. And yes. take advantage of that tipping point, and I encourage everybody who's listening to go to Downsize DC, find out how the three hundred works, uh, become part of the effort to do this because it'll hit us in our pocketbooks until we do something about it, folks. And and it's up to us. It really is. If I can put and and the I really point on it. I, I don't want to
1: like uh, anybody to miss this. We did a whole episode about Speaker McCarthy a couple a few episodes ago, and Speaker McCarthy that Speaker McCarthy battle. I mean, the terms of it. And the, the ones that were being shouted the, the most by the likes of of Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates were the very things that are that we're, we've talked about today. The, this was top of the list stuff that they wanted to put emphasis on. We did this. The people who've been involved with downsize DC, all the people in the downsize DC Army, God bless you. This we were the ones that made this happen. Our time, our perseverance is what made this happen.
0: I want to introduce, or maybe perhaps restate, a term here that's very interesting to me in this conversation about how to get these amazing uh, bills into law transpartisan. Hmm. I see this impacts both parties equally well. I don't see that there's a downside for any political party in this. Is
1: that a correct assessment of this? It is a correct assessment. So before this was even introduced for the very first time, we had a couple more years in the front end of getting this uh, into the what became the Tea Party movement, right? We we were before the Tea Party movement. And when the Tea Party movement came on, Read the Bills became one of their main themes very quickly. And and Rand Paul was elected amidst that Tea Party wave. We were arguing, uh, we were going out and talking to people right and left. Uh, I would go to Tea Party groups and obviously they were very enthusiastic, but when I would talk to anybody, regardless of where they're at in the political spectrum, as long as they did not work inside the geographic bounds called the Beltway in Washington, D.C., I was fine that like 90% of the people that I talked to, 95% of the people supported the Read the Bills Act enthusiastically. The only time I would ever get a question about how, what trouble this might cause would would tend to come when I was inside the Beltway, not out. Uh, the same thing could largely be said for the Once Every Time Act. I would rate the number a little bit lower. Maybe it's 80, 85 percent there. And the same thing with Write the Laws Act. That's probably a little bit more conservative, but it would still get majority support. And that was true uh, for a very, very long time. Now, I, I'm not out doing as many interviews about this as I used to be able to do because I have a variety of contracts and, and responsibilities. That I'm presently involved in but uh, when I was doing this in my heyday it would make common sense and I would go on to talk shows which I think is even more dramatic where they're talking about this stuff every day and I would go on to a show that thought Nancy Pelosi was great and I would go on to a show that thought that uh, uh, who would it be the Republican du jour you know whatever the tea party was great and it wouldn't matter where I went the, uh, across the board I never ever have done A radio or or talk show or podcast appearance where the host of that program did not think this was anything short of a great idea. Every single time. It's stellar. So this reaches everyone. This is a nonpartisan idea. The only people that care about it are the people with power. The division here, the partisan division here is between those who have the power and those of us who are outside that power. And there's a lot more of us than there are of them.
0: Well, then it's time. This is the People's Initiative. And, yeah. it, and it directly affects us. This is a way that Congress does not serve us regardless of which lever we pull in the voting booth. It just doesn't Correct. serve us. And we can help we can hold it accountable by getting it to pass these laws. Do we have any other way to make a citizens initiative work on a federal level?
1: No, we have to get this done through Congress. Uh,
0: I mean, you know, long
1: term, maybe you have to go to constitutional amendments, which would be part of the answer to your question earlier. Like maybe this needs to be an amendment. I don't know. But for now, the next stage of this, we've already got some of this stuff in the rules. We need to get this stuff into law so that you're actually protected. And Congress is more likely to abide by it, not waive it.
0: I, uh, you know, because I've been in this, Jim, for with you now for a while on these things. But what, let me just reassure you, if you out there are listening to this after 49 minutes, you're still listening to this, and you wanna do the, the homework to figure out how this could affect you, I have never seen a set of simple laws that come so close to home, as the Read the Bills Act, and the One Step to the Time Act, and the Write the Laws Act. These are very, very personal. As a business owner, yes, but as a citizen, even more so. Because citizens, we are in you know deep hawk right now in America. And part of the reason that we're in so deep is because we haven't had Congress doing its job. And if nothing else, these laws would make Congress do its job better than it has. Let's just say that better than it has, and in a way that is transpartisan, bipartisan, even nonpartisan. So, Jim, give us a grace point to sort of bring this all home.
1: My work at uh, Downsize DC precedes a lot of the spiritual thinking that I've been doing that tends to be the hallmark of this show but it's still consistent. I believe that the problem, Bill, is how government spends its money. Most people will acknowledge that there is a tax and spend party in Washington, D.C., and then there is also a borrow and spend party. And at times they hand each other their yellow dog-eared scripts and play the other side. When they compromise, they, they, they agree that they will spend more in every instance because they are both focused on the revenue method and not the spending. What has been missing all along has been somebody address the spending. Now, I want to throw out a hypothetical example to you. This inspired the creation of Downsized DC itself. If I were to take all of the dollars that the federal government collects in taxes in a given year and pile them high like autumn leaves and then set them on fire Let's leave out the ecological and environmental damage that such an act might do. I will argue that you will be better off, despite the fact that they've taken your money. The real problem is how they spend it. And if they spend it, they had to get it from somewhere, even if it's deficit spending. The spending is where they authorize people to come in and implement the various acts and deeds that they impose upon us. The spending is the nub of the problem. In fact, if you ended the spending, the well-meaning, smart people who work in the various bureaucracies, who work in the various halls of government, would go home and find another way to go make a living. And that way would almost naturally, in almost every case, be more honest, would serve their fellow man. So I am suggesting that the spending is the problem and that downsized DC is a moral imperative. It's the only way to get Uh, in, in some gradual sense, in some evolutionary sense, to a state where we actually practice consistently a principle of human respect. I believe that if we want to encourage the happiness of others, if we want to promote a society that reduces the conflict machine and expands grace, if we want to live in a voluntary society where we learn to look out for one another and we voluntarily act in acts of compassion that bring community together in solving problems. We have to find ways to do this. You already eloquently said, and I want to echo that these are high leverage, efficient ways to get the job done that don't pick a team in doing it. And so, for that reason, I call on everybody who's within the sound of my voice right now to do two things go to Downsize DC. And sign up to be one of the 300. And number two, share this podcast and what you've learned here with your friends so that we can move ever closer to the gracearchy that we seek.